Hello and welcome back to another podcast episode with your host, Christy Scanlon. In episode 35, I speak to ex-baseball player, Charlie Ruiz. Charlie retired from professional baseball through injury, but now, instead of playing on the field, he coaches athletes on mindset and resilience. In this episode, we dig deep into Charlie's incredible career and how his journey has continued as a coach. We discuss the importance of mental toughness for athletes how to stay strong in difficult times and the life lessons Charlie has learned from over the years. Charlie shares some inspirational stories of his time playing professional baseball and reveals how he was able to stay positive and persevere even when things got tough. He also touches on the power of visualization and how it can help athletes reach their goals. This is a must-listen episode for all athletes, coaches or anyone who is looking to become a little bit more resilient in life. Before the episode starts, do me a favour by clicking the follow button for more awesome podcasts. Thank you for joining me today, and until next time, see you on the next one. Charles, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, thank you. Thanks for having me. I really want to start by looking at how your journey began within sport. So how did your career begin and how did it become a, an intrinsic drive for you to fulfill an ambition within sport? Yeah, it started probably from my childhood with my parents, uh, just knowing that we were a baseball family uh, and it was just kind of rooted in Everything that I did, I was surrounded by it at a young age. But when it really hit me, I think intrinsically was probably in high school when I was hurt for a couple of years and I didn't get to play it. Right. So there was like two years in which I didn't get to, you know, partake in the sport that I didn't realize I loved so much. Right. Basketball was my first love. But when you don't play something or you lose something for a couple of years, it starts to kind of. Come back, come back to you as to why it's important. I started to kind of get some of the recognition that I wasn't getting in, say, the other sport, um, but more so the fact that I realized that there was a potential path for scholarship and a professional career that had never really became. It was really scholarship first. Let me actually take that back. It was scholarship. Uh, no one in my family had gone to gone to school, gone to college, and had taken that route, and it became something when I realized there was a scholarship potentially lined up. Did that impact maybe longevity? Because I speak to a lot of athletes and coaches and managers, and they kind of mentioned that they are very intrinsically driven. And obviously you mentioned scholarship there. There must be some self-determination there that kind of maybe impacts long-term and, and what the the aim is. Uh, I'm just trying to think of maybe your, your mindset and your process there along those lines. Yeah, I'm, the mindset approach it then, I think it, there was a chip on my shoulder definitely for a couple of years. Uh, where it wasn't just focused on the the scholarship. It was almost, I want to show that I can compete at the highest level because I was playing both basketball and baseball around people who also were playing at a high level. Uh, so then I think it, once it became to the point where I realized that there was an opportunity to get something external, the, the scholarship, I realized that my differentiator was my work ethic and everything that was uh, I was intrinsically motivated about. So that longevity, I think, started in high school, even though I didn't realize where it was going. 
Where, where do you think you got that drive from, Charles? Did it come from, you mentioned your family then. Was it internal? Was it external? Where, where do you think that come from? Probably mostly my family. When I think about it, I haven't really <laughs> sat with that too much, but I think it's a very humble family, right? Uh, blue collar, as, as they may call it, uh, but they were always there, right? So there was this, there was this sacrifice. There was the support that they always gave me, and by knowing how much they had sacrificed for me, it was do the work. Right. There's only thing, one thing you control. It's the work and the intrinsic motivation kind of came from, I guess, wanted to also honor and respect what they had done. So it's kind of a combination, actually. Yeah, obviously, the system's very different in the UK. We have like an, an we have academy football systems, for example. We use football or soccer as an example. We have academy systems that align with colleges and the emphasis on education is not as important, I find, in comparison to the, U the US. But I feel like you mentioned scholarship there and, and getting an opportunity to educate yourself and have tuition and financially develop some form of kind of capital in that regard. Talk to me about like that, that process and, and, and what's the thoughts going into those opportunities at a university level and the, the environment and the experience of, of meeting the, the best of the best, I presume. Yeah. I didn't have I didn't have it. I didn't I didn't end up landing a scholarship. I actually ended up going the junior college route, uh, which okay. which was a bit different uh, with the thought process of I'd love to have a scholarship. I'd love to get an opportunity, uh, but I didn't get it. Uh, so, again, kind of the underdog as much as I was maybe. Skilled or I had the right. The, the right skill set to be able to play at the collegiate level. It didn't happen right out of high school. So I spent two years in my junior college here in the San Francisco Bay Area. And those were the two, probably the two most transformational years that I had when it comes to my my baseball kind of career and, and mindset and really everything. What, what do you think that was, Charles? Why do you think that was a kind of trans transformational for you? I think it was a combination. A combination of realizing my own skill set was up to par and that the belief that I had to put and instill in myself would allow me to get that scholarship that I was looking for, right? I didn't know if it was ever something that was possible. Then you get to a highly touted junior college with a tremendous coaching staff, which I do give a lot, a lot of the credit for putting together a team and resources and just the work ethic they instilled in us. I think once you see that and you realize that people can leave this junior college and then go chase that dream and get the scholarship or sign a professional contract, that's when it all clicked for me. And they instilled a lot of the belief in me there. And also me being a player and getting time on the field there also instilled the belief because I was actually out there doing it. In terms of maybe that situation and that environment and that experience you mentioned your coach there do you think that kind of has shaped you in terms of your career pathway around performance and, and and mindset and mentality just because maybe on reflection if you had that maybe earlier and I, I the reason I say this is that a lot of athletes I speak to say this is that there was a little bit more of awareness of what it takes to become an elite athlete or elite performer from a psychological perspective then that might have enabled them to fulfill a journey which is different to the one they're on now would you think that that kind of aligns with very much your justification for for helping athletes today and kind of looking at that from a 
an holistic point of view? I definitely think I think a lot about that. And that's part of the reason why now and what I do, whether it's working with an athlete that's transitioning or it's uh, an executive transitioning from a career, right? There's a lot, there's a lot of of mindset and the sports psych that can tie into it uh, that I leveraged on the field, but then now I'm realizing it also exists in the business world, whether it's vision, whether it's some of the prep, whether it's the the breath work, uh, a lot of what I do, what I did on the field now translates. So I'd love to be able to share the message and help folks through that. How does that transfer in terms of the business world then? So could you give us a little bit more insight on how that, that is a, is a, transferable asset to different disciplines i think a lot of it comes down to the preparation <laughs> the preparation and some of the 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 vision work that i like to do with executives especially when it comes to speaking like especially when it comes to speaking where you go on stage you're preparing a large keynote or you know a specific presentation a sales pitch Sometimes folks will just go in there and just wing it, right? They have what they're supposed to do. They know their job. They go in there and they do it. But to be able to work with somebody and show them, hey, this is how I used to do it on the field or explain to them the purpose of having your focal points or having your 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 breaths be an asset for you while you're on stage as you collect your thoughts and as you maybe fumble or you have a moment where you do need to kind of reset all of that is what I used to do on the field. And I love hearing where they try to figure out what they've done in the past that's worked and then how to apply that in their current job. And that's a lot of the work that I used to do on the mound pitching, right? The resilience to be able to go back and forth and understand where I've been, what worked, what didn't work, have my breath work, have my focal, focal points. It all maps. It all maps. Do you use a lot of reflective practice then in that process? Because you kind of said to look back on and, and you kind of mentioned that experience within baseball. Is reflection key there? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think especially in the especially in the business context, we get so focused on what's in front of us as an athlete will, right? Win-loss. I know what I need to do. But without reflection, not rumination, without reflection and understanding like, what was I thinking? Who was I around? Like, what was my support system? How did I tap into something that I had extra that day when I didn't have have the feeling like I could do it? Right? There's a lot of that that comes back into the business world. Because as we know, as you know, as an athlete, it doesn't really matter how you feel. <laughs> you still got to show up. You still got to win the game. There's a lot of consistency and presence involved. And it's the same if you're in a cubicle or behind a computer screen in today's world. <laughs> in terms of, obviously, you mentioned baseball and uh, your kind of outlook towards baseball. What was that transition like going into other avenues? You mentioned business as well. So, again, speaking to, to past athletes and athletes like yourself, they mentioned that sometimes those transitions away from sport and that realization that they might need to go down a different route can be a challenge. Did you ever overcome anything like that or is there anything that you you kind of on reflection think about in terms of maybe that transition and how you cope with that in a, in a positive, maybe a negative way. Yeah. I give you both. It's both positive and negative, probably more positive this last month. If I'm being completely honest with you, uh, it's been a slow burn for, for years, uh, being able to come to grips with it, which is part of why 
I do what I do now. Uh, when it first happened and you had to transition nearly 10, 10 years ago, I was hurt, right? So I had shoulder surgery and then you rehab for nearly two years and you don't come back to your peak performance and you have to retire, almost forced into it. So that left definitely kind of a dark space for you to figure out who are you outside of your sport. And then you're just kind of told this is what you should do as a competitive athlete. And you don't really ask yourself what exactly about the sport or what exactly about me do I want to continue to pursue in my life. Uh, we've been told our whole life what to do as a coach, as an athlete. We know what our job is on the field, on the court. Well, when you step into what we call as the real world, <laughs> you get to choose. And that's very, very difficult for athletes. I still remember going into, I still remember the day getting released. And I remember coming home and I remember interviews of me walking into businesses, handing them my resume and them looking at me. Like I was a crazy person. You have not worked. You're 25, 26 years old. You have not worked a single job other than being a professional athlete. And when you do that for six months, living in the San Francisco Bay Area, where it is not cheap, it can be very, very deflating. Now, again, I had a wonderful support system. But it was all new territory for me. Uh, and thankfully, they were there for me. But I had to figure it out for myself. I had to go find a way. I eventually did. You said support system. So how did you get a good one around you? Because I can imagine that that can be a challenge. And again, on, on reflection, that there's people that you associate your friends to be, maybe because of who you are as your persona, elite player, you know, all the kind of glamorized elements that come with that and then all of a sudden you mentioned that transition away and that's kind of stripped away from you how do you get good people around you then because there's a lot of cases where bad people are around those people that go through that process how do you kind of knot out those those brotherhood people that you need during that experience is there anything that, that you kind of can can relate to and share with with listeners yeah absolutely it happened even before the transition. I mean, I was always humbled and surrounded by, I think, people throughout my professional career and even before. I always kind of considered myself as a, as, as a connecting point for my community and folks that were around. So I stayed in contact and I made sure that whenever I was home, I had, you know, I had my people around me. And I think it was a different take when I came back. And it wasn't about not having... It wasn't about having bad people around me or, you know, people that weren't supporting. It was that I was leveraging them in the way I was still giving. There was still a service act to what I was doing. It was more finding out who else, right? Who else out of my core, right? That is outside of this, this community that I have that I can reach out to and seek. That was the difficult part because I didn't know, right? None of my friends and none of my core was in that space or had anything, had any idea what I was going through. So I think the difficult was actually going out to find additional support system outside of my core. You said what you were going through. So what, what, what was, what were you going through during that transition? Was it kind of mental health factors or kind of identity shifts and that, that caused some form of like anxiety? I'm just trying to fit, trying to figure out what kind of issues would be apparent. So the reason I ask that is that a lot of people that might listen to this might 
relate to you, but they might relate to also some of the challenges. So is there anything that kind of stood out during that that process that you can share? Yeah, absolutely. The identity the identity shift was the was the hardest thing to to figure out, uh, at least for me. And I'm sure that there was components of the anxiety and and also mental health. But when I when I hear those th- those three, it, it was the identity. Who am I outside of what I've been doing for 25 years? I was always known as Charlie the baseball player, and I was always also somebody who never said, "Hi, I'm Charlie the baseball player." Right. <laughs> so, as much as that was my whole identity, I didn't know what who I was outside of that. And I think when I say going through it, it was that. Am I a salesperson? Do I want to work in tech? Do I want to be a teacher? I want to add value. Everyone who's always known me knows me as the, you know, the guy who's got it figured out in, in a way, all while I had nothing figured out. So it was a battle and shifting from the baseball player that I was to this new competitive individual who was trying to find himself again in one of the most highly competitive job markets in the world. Very humbling, very humbling. Did you find that easy to to open up and talk about these issues or how, how was that in terms of support? You mentioned kind of your, your, your friends and your, your close family or, or the people around you. Um, but, but I can imagine that was a challenge to kind of open up and talk about these kind of feelings just because of the nature of, of it today and the limitation of support there. I can imagine back in your day, and how there might be still limitations today. It was very difficult to talk about it. And it was a, no slight to my support system. They were there. They were present. It's what I needed at the moment. But we didn't We didn't do this, right? It wasn't something that was commonplace to be able to speak to what we were feeling. And conversations like this, honestly, me in the last year or so, talking it out is stuff that I'm sure my parents and people have never even heard. Uh, so... Yeah, it's a bit, it, it's nice for me to hear it. <laughs> it's nice for me to be able to hear what my answers are because I haven't made them talk it out because you didn't, right? You laced up, you figured it out, you found a way. And I still do that. But what I'm saying is that there is, there is service and this is helpful uh, for individuals, which is why that has given me uh, the courage more to speak um, about where we, where we were at, where I was at. Uh, and people may be going through it right now and that's okay. That's okay. You mentioned identity is kind of the key catalyst. How does how did you change your identity? Or how does one change their identity? What does that process look like? Yeah, when I think of the identity work, at least some of the some of the identity work I get to do um, with an athlete or with a teacher, right, an ex military, you know, veteran. What about what about the job? What about what you were doing every day? serves you or that you truly love to do regardless of what the role was and it's really exploring that in depth which is hard to do so if you at what asked me what did i like about the game of baseball like sure i love the game <laughs> i love playing i love the but i love my teammates i love the fact that as an introverted kid there was a sense of ownership when I was on the mound and it was just me. It was me and my catcher's glove. While I had the team that was supporting me around me, I love that sense of ownership. I love the conversations. I don't know if, how much you know about the game of baseball, but there's a lot of downtime. 
there's a lot of downtime. Now there's a pitch clock, but there's a lot of downtime. So getting to know my teammates in the outfield during practice and the pitchers in the bullpen, right? I love the conversation. I love the back and forth. I love hearing their stories. I love, I love that part of the game. So when you ask me, what about the game did I love? There's so much. But that identity of me being a baseball player, there's so many good nuggets in there that I can leverage in the work that I do now. It's no surprise that I have conversations and I love to help build people's stories up. I did it for 20 years, just in the bullpen or out in the outfield during practice. I was speaking to a, um, a rugby union mm-hmm. player or an ex-rugby union player last week, and he mentioned that the one thing that he missed when he left was the fact that the game continued. And he mentioned like a certain time where match day would happen. Might be similar to yourself where you, you set a certain time or if a match was happening on a weekend, etc. And it was kind of like he was forgotten about, but the game continued. Did you ever experience anything along those lines in terms of, well, we, you're just an asset to this organization. Thanks for your service by, but we need to move on. And, and that can kind of cause factors, issues around identity as well. Did you ever come across things like that? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I was away from the game. Uh, I didn't have a have a smooth exit, right? When you have surgery, or you're hurt, right? It can be a bit clunky with an organization, uh, and it wasn't. It, it it didn't work out. It wasn't smooth. It wasn't like a nice handshake. Everything is fine. Uh, it, it it was a difficult time, and I definitely stepped away from the game for a couple of years. However, during my rehab, when I would be home, my childhood team. The one that I rooted for with my mom, my dad, my uncle, my brother, like the San Francisco Giants just happened to be pretty good. And it's when they were in the middle of their, you know, their dynasty winning championships here in the Bay Area. So I kind of had to tune in a little bit because they had never they hadn't won in 50 years. So it kept me close enough. Um, but I but I hadn't I couldn't really say that I was engaging the game until probably seven or eight years later, which is part of my transition story into where I'm at now. Um, but it was definitely, I, be, I was definitely jaded for a couple of years. Do you, do you speak to anyone similar to, to you? You mentioned your injury, but a similar way of, of leaving the sport where they've got the same stories, but it's taken until maybe a few years to open up. Is there anyone kind of that you can relate to in terms of maybe that transition? Have you spoke to anyone uh, is it a common th- my, my point is is it a common theme do you know is it is it an apparent theme that happens to so not only yourself but to to many athletes within baseball or is it I'm, I'm just intrigued on that if there's anyone that you can relate to in, in, in terms of what you said i can relate to a lot, a lot of folks i talk to uh names i mean names miss me because there's there's a lot of individuals that i talk to that have that same experience which is why my first coaching or help when it comes to someone who is feeling that sense of being jaded or having t- a tough period is to go find your starting five, find that circle, find your core, but allow that core to be very strategic. And not just the person who's going to you know, give you the thumbs up and say, hey, everything's going to be fine. Like, go find the person who's going to push you or ask you the questions that you don't want to answer. Mm-hmm. Go find the person who is going to kind of be that neutral, calming presence for you. Go find that person outside of an industry, outside of your core. Go find them and ask and be and seek mentorship outside of what you already know. I think that was that was and is the most important thing that I like to work with folks on. 
when it comes to transitioning out. You need help. And it's not the help that you likely think. Your core is going to be there. Get outside of that. You, you mentioned injury. How does that impact transition? Is there anything that is, that's kind of you can relate to in terms of your process, but even speaking to maybe other athletes as well, where injury, because I, I get the impression injury is sudden and it's uncontrollable. And something that I've always been told is control the controllable, but that is something that you cannot control. Um, you can control the rehab process, but it's it's kind of a, a process that takes time and patience and other mental factors kind of come into play. Talk to me about that. And is there anything that might be valuable for, for listeners and viewers that can be taken away from that experience? I think this is where a lot of the mindset work comes in. Right? What can I do with this injury to be able to feel like I am putting my best, my best foot out there so that I can close the chapter on my own terms? And if, if you are going through that, find a way, and this was advice given to me that I'd take to heart, find a way to close the chapter on your own terms or close the book on your own terms. And if you are an in, if you are injured or you are battling an injury and it takes you 24 months and you realize it's just not getting better and you still need to close the chapter, find whatever that means for you. Find whatever that looks like. I was coaching in my junior college that meant so much to me. So to, to go back there and coach and go back on the mound and try one more time to see where my velocity was after 24 months of training and trying to figure out where I was. I asked my dad to come watch. I asked a good buddy of mine to be in the back just to see where I was at. I'll never forget that. I went out there. I pitched. I was still throwing 82 miles an hour. I realized that my professional career was over. I walked off of that practice field from all the guys that I was coaching Gave my dad a hug, cried, saw my buddy in the back, and I knew that that was me closing the chapter, closing the book. So that's what I would recommend. Find a way to close the chapter on your own terms. Is that is that easier said than done, though, Charles? And the reason I say that is that there might be people that have that same process, but they have extrinsic factors in their life, social media presence, fame, glory, you know, is it easier said than done? Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it is. If there's X and that's where, like you, like you shared, if there's an external motive, if there's external motivation tacked to it or something else that they have to come to grips with, isolate that, like figure out where that's coming from. What does that do for yourself, right? For your ego, for you as an athlete, and then, and then get back in, get back into the mirror. I get back into that mirror. You know, talk about the window. It's easy for us to look outside of the window and see folks doing their thing. But if we were to go back and look in the mirror, what questions are we actually asking ourselves? So what strategies do you have in terms of working with athletes in terms of managing their mental health? So I can imagine mental health is a key factor within that process around identity and coming away from games and injury as well with a layer on top of that yeah i mean any strategies health, any report mental health is, it, it's a huge layer and it's something that i don't i don't get into as much as i think some folks they spend a lot of time in that space uh, i think for me it's 
getting aware, like when I think of performance and I think of transition and I think of an athlete, they know what performance looks like. I get them back into the awareness. It all starts truly. What am I going through? What feelings can I name my feelings? And then from there, do I have a support system? Again, the community of the, the five people. And then from there, am I leveraging those people in the right way? And then from there, being able to go back to my high performance days as an athlete and say, what can I continue to do here? Even though I'm not playing in sport, even though I'm not on the field or on the court, where I can get back into some sport of routine that is going to allow me to still perform at what I think is my, and this is the best part, my highest level, not dictated by anybody else externally. And a lot, a lot of my work starts with that. People don't know what they want and what they deem as high performing because they've always been told from other people what high performing is. Get the sense that success is a feeling, not a metric. Always, right? It's always win-loss. And again, as an athlete, you know, yeah, win-loss. We're here, we're here to do the job. Black and white. I reference the gray space a lot. In sport, it's very black and white. In life, it may seem black and white. There's a lot, a lot of room to play in that gray space. Asking questions like, where's your flexibility? What are my non-negotiables? What do I really want? When we isolate what we think to be true, what we think not to be true, and we start to explore, well, what else is out there? That's when, that's when we start to unlock, unlock a different side of who we could be from an identity perspective and what we need to do to move forward. How, how does one find those people then so the people people might be watching or listening to this and they might go well um you know i, I really do want to change the mindset I, i'm in an environment that is um kind of not now enable me to have a growth mindset um and i need to be around people that do have values and an identity that aligns with what i'm trying to achieve how, how does one kind of get involved within the process of mentoring and coaches, et cetera. Is there anything that you can kind of share? Two things come to mind. First, get uncomfortable. Being uncomfortable with, with what we call as networking. I'm not a networking person. I don't like to say I want to go network. But what I what I will do is reach out to people that have or seem to to be sharing or living some sort of of life or mission that I'm interested in and ask them what they're doing. I mean, I couldn't tell you how many LinkedIn messages and random uh, texts that I sent to people asking if I can be introduced just because I was curious. So I think I was curious, like what, what else is out there? And through that process, you then start to kind of isolate and go, okay, this is the type of individual. This is the type of industry. This is the type of community I want to be around. So the first answer is be curious and get uncomfortable being uncomfortable with reaching out. The second, which I'm just now truly getting into, sometimes you got to pay for it. Although as a transitioning athlete or a collegiate athlete, professional athlete in the minor leagues, because you don't get paid a lot of money, we don't have a lot of money to be able to go share or to be able to go pay to find the community. But oftentimes if we can find up or ask, or serve 
Maybe we can't pay for it, but we can help serve and learn with somebody. A form of payment. That can be a great opportunity for you to find somebody. Yeah, it's interesting how you mentioned getting uncomfortable. I think that's kind of a key point in terms of trying to find out who you are and what your purpose is. Would you agree? 100%. It was under my... Uh, like two two sayings that went to the bill of my hat typically when I played and something that I still kind of hold true in everything that I do now as an individual myself and also when I'm helping other individuals, whether it's a business executive or an athlete. One of them is what you see behind me, right? Less is more, which is a reminder for me to simplify what I'm what I'm trying to do and everything. And the second one is get get comfortable being uncomfortable. I, I guess I did want... the third. Yeah. So say that again, sorry. I said, I guess I do have a third too, depending <laughs> on what that was. A third, the third, and this is where the, the athlete kind of comes in a little bit more. I had why not me under there as well. <laughs> why not why not me? Because I did the work. There's no reason that I shouldn't be the one. And there's no reason that you shouldn't be the one to achieve, to get that next position, to transition successfully, to be in this next phase of your life. There's no reason you can't have that success. Why not me? Do you do anything around education with coaches? I'm just intrigued if anything around coaches. Obviously, we've focused on athletes, but more from a coaching perspective, coach education. Is there anything that that you've done previously that could be shared? I'm starting to. I'm starting to. I think taking my – that's where it's transitioned, actually, for me. Is it the work that I've been able to do in Silicon Valley, working with executives and teams on their leadership communication, whether it's influence, whether it's their presence, whether it's how their feedback, and what a high-performing team is, how to be proactive within your communication. A lot of that content that I've been swimming in for the last five years, I'm now seeing has is very there's, there's a lot of practical application that coaches, collegiate professional, can leverage. So that's actually where some of my business is trans transitioning into is to be able to support coaches more on how they develop their culture, how they lead as a as a servant as a, as a servant leader, uh, and all the different other components of what we know is leaders within certain businesses, certain sports organizations, educational providers. They kind of highlight the fact that mental well being and awareness of that should come from a leadership position and that is filtered then amongst its staff. Do you, do you kind of focus on that in terms of your training around developing this awareness with leaders or is there anything that stands out within that process? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's one of my core pillars. Like if there's three, three pillars that, that I, that I help leaders with one, one of them is of course, the mindset, as we've talked about. The second one is that they are, convicted in their own voice, right? They are authentic. They know who they are, their identity. But the third, I think, speaks to what you're talking about, and that's high agency, right? Ownership. If I know that my team is struggling, there's burnout, there's um, some mental health issues, there's people aren't happy, the ownership to me starts top down. That's how culture can work. And I like to work with leaders on the action-specific their intentions, but not just the intentions, the actions that are tied to the intentions. And we do a lot of work there. And if I'm lucky, I'm also to get some folks that are on the team 
and make sure that they also have the same same approach. Because as much as it's top down, you can still cause change if you are not the leader. Everyone's their own leader. Okay. As corny as that may sound, you can still show up and create culture even if you want the top dog. Interesting. So Charles, what I normally do towards the end of the uh, the podcast, I normally get uh, my my um, my guests to either look back or look forward. And I think what we've done so far is look back. But my question to you is to, to maybe think of you in the future. And uh, we've mentioned obviously your baseball career and that transition. Maybe going forward, there might be an, an additional transition. I'm not sure. But how would you kind of like to leave your legacy within this field of coaching and performance? And you mentioned leadership and culture and all those other elements that are layered on top of your current profession at the moment. Is there anything that kind of stands out? And is there anything that you are driven by to to kind of leave as a as, a, as a, an important element to, to what you're trying to achieve? It's the importance of being able to connect to who you are and what you do. And I think this was asked of me one time from, you know, a previous, a previous boss. And it was something that I think has really inspired me since then is they asked me what I was going to do. And I was listening to someone talk about their brand and their purpose and like how to, how to find it. And there's the two questions to ask yourself. And it was, who are you trying to help 10 years ago? No, I'm sorry. The two questions to ask yourself. What did you need help with 10 years ago? That's one way to find your purpose. Go serve that person. And what breaks your heart? Probably hear my dog. Hopefully we can get that out. <laughs> uh, oh, man. Sorry. The worst timing. Um, I'm sure you can cut all this out, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can do that. Um, all right. Let me back that up. Let me back that up for a second. So, all right. So I can't. It's, it's okay in terms of sound quality. It's, it's okay, you can't hear it. Good. No, 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 no. Okay. Awesome. Good to know. Um, so that is right. So the legacy. So what is the legacy? Being able to answer those two questions, like who did I? Being able to answer two questions of what was I looking for ten years ago, and then five years ago, and what breaks my heart. And in some of the work that I get to do, I work with folks that are in college or an athlete and they go into an introduction or their presentation and what they worked, worked on over the summer. And usually it's, hi, my name is X. I went to this school. I'm from this hometown. And then they go right into the work. And when I asked this woman who's a sophomore to tell me a little bit about herself, she didn't really have an answer. And I could tell that she hadn't been asked that. And then I thought about some of the individuals that I work with five, 10 years into their career as former athletes, landing big tech jobs that are asking me the same question. They didn't know who they were. They had just been in this rat race of this is what I'm told to do. And by me being that person who has asked them and who is constantly asking myself, who are you outside of what you are doing at your job? Seeing her walk away from that call a little teary-eyed changed my perspective. 
because she didn't have an answer. And I told her, if there's anything that you remember from me, other than this presentation that you're going to be amazing at, it's that whoever asks you that question in the future, you have a long answer that you know who you are because you as a sophomore are going to be asking the same question 10, 15 years from now because I'm seeing it right now. So if there's anything that I want people to be able to do from my coaching and being able to work together, it's that you are so aligned in who you are and what you do. Great answer. Thank you. Thank you. Where can, where can people find you, Charles, if they want to explore your coaching or they want to find out a little bit more about you? Where can they get you? Yeah. Uh, so where could you find me? I'm mainly on Instagram. That's probably my number one social handle, uh, Charles L. Ruiz. And uh, that's, you know, as, sim as simple as it can be. Um, but if you are interested or would like to learn more about some of my coaching, uh, clrconnection.com. Uh, that's, that's my website. That's where some of my coaching um, services some of the training where you can find me if you wanted to work with me and learn a little bit more. Um, but when it comes to the social sphere, mainly Instagram. You might see me on Twitter here and there, but that's where you can find me. LinkedIn, of course. That's probably where I'm at more than anything, if I actually were <laughs> to think about it. We'll put the uh, the links to your website, your social media, all in the description. Um, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for your time today. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Pleasure is mine. I really appreciate you setting aside the time uh, as busy <laughs> as you are. Uh, and being up at Sock Shop, it's a, it's a, it's a joy. And I really appreciated the questions, the thoughtful questions that you've asked. So thank you.